0: And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by Frank Ferretti. He is an amazing writer, author of over 25 books, including two of his most recent ones, which we'll get a little bit into today. Uh, 100 Years of Identity Crisis, Cultural War Over Socialization, and Why Borders Matter. He writes weekly articles on Spiked, on the topics of identity politics, free speech, and culture. Uh, he's been a professor, Emeritus, uh, Emeritus Professor of Sociology at Kent University, uh, and we're going to discuss sort of the insane identity politics and niche cultural issues that are at the heart of so many of our public discussion today, um, what we refer to as wokeism largely, and you know, why is everything a political fight uh, from sports to movies, what medical procedures you have to take, what you have to wear in public, what kind of food you can eat. Why why has everything become political? Why is everything being associated with someone's identity? And how did that become the case from from you know generation where I grew up in the nineties, not not so long ago, where we used to fight about things like tax cuts. And so now everything's a, a cultural, political battle. Um, and we're gonna talk about how some of these cultural battles and wokeism and some of these, these these fights that we're having today how that shapes up in the geopolitical landscape how it affects other parts of the world particularly as we see this this russian invasion of ukraine unfold uh what it means for the us the eu global affairs uh and a little bit more as well so frank thanks so much for uh, for bringing with me it's a real pleasure i've been reading your stuff for a while so i really appreciate it
2: pleasure to talk to you yeah
1: absolutely um so, so start with, like, the, the topic of your last book, the focusing on the identity crisis, which is a phenomenon largely engulfing the Western world, um, particularly seems like the English-speaking world more so than anywhere else. You have this incessant fixation on ideology and these niche, niche sexuality issues. Um, you know, everything needs to be renamed because it's racist. Books can't be read anymore. Statues have to become taken down. This is the heart of, of of the wokeness problem, and a segment of our population, the progressives, have gone all in on a lot of these woke issues, um, departing from the traditional sort of economic issues that used to be their platform, and, and now focusing on these what, what they call intersectionality issues. Uh, today, you see a little bit of this with uh, recently the, – the most recent example. We see a lot of this, but the most recent example would probably be this Disney – Fight against the governor of Florida. Uh, this is what they call the "Don't Say Gay" bill. It's a it's unfairly disdained, and um, it's not really accurate representation. Of what it says essentially? Governor of Florida passes this bill saying you can't speak about sex or gender issues to kindergartners up to third grade. And this seems to be like a hill that progressives want to die on. So, so we see a lot of this, and obviously, you're in England. This much of much of these issues are discussed there as well. Where does this identity politics is a fixation on these niche cultural issues, to the exclusion of actual real issues like inflation or wage growth uh, or crime. Where does this actually stem from? Why has this become such a phenomenon, particularly this century, the last 20 years?
2: Well, it's been a long time coming because um, the origins of identity politics begins to kick in in the late 60s, early 70s. But at that point, it stays on the margins of society. And it has a, a bit of influence in universities. But otherwise, it, it doesn't really impact on public life. But then I think two things begin to happen uh, that allow this kind of way of thinking, gain traction. The first thing that happens is that in the 70s, you have the what's called the end of ideology, which basically means that all the classical... Uh, ideologies that used to inspire people in the 20th century have gradually unraveled. You know, liberalism unravels, socialism unravels, communism unravels, conservatism kind of goes to sleep. And what, you, what you're what left with is a political landscape that is denuded of the classical political ways of, of looking at things. And I think it's at this point that uh, identity and this politicization begins to gain momentum. And in particular, what happens is that uh, the traditional issues that used to dominate the public sphere kind of gradually uh, sort of decline and instead what you have is an obsession and a focus on lifestyle mm-hmm. you know everything from the environment and being green to being a vegan or vegetarian everything gets politicized and obviously what what really gets politicized are things to do with uh, your you know, your gender your race your ethnicity and what, what, what makes this particularly interesting is that what, what underpins this politicization of lifestyle and of your identity is this notion that the personal is political mm. and that the political is personal. So once, the, once politics becomes so privatized, so personalized, then you're not really that interested in tax cuts, You're really not that interested in the big social issues. You're not very interested in what kind of society you would like to uh, create or build. You're not that interested in the future of your nation or your communities. Your horizons narrow. And what we've seen uh, in the last 30 years, but particularly this century, is that identity becomes increasingly segmented and then segregated, so that people talk only to people like themselves. And not only that, but identity groups begin to fragment and new identities are created. So, for example, you had the the, the movement for gays and lesbians gradually falling apart. Uh You had uh, uh, groups of lesbians gradually arguing about, you know, are you a cultural lesbian or are you a a social lesbian? You have intersectionality coming in. You have a situation where in in Britain, for example, where I live, a lot of trans people and, and a lot of lesbians are having a civil war, fighting each other amongst uh, black people you have this idea of colorism that people who have light skin mm-hmm. they are somehow uh, almost as privileged as white people and right. therefore there's a kind of estrangement kicking in and this kind of continuous ghettoization of life becomes so deeply entrenched that after a while we, we lose sight of the fact that the bread and butter issues and the, the really key uh, important issues uh, must have a salience in our, in our world and that. It's taken a long time uh, to kind of uh, come in, but there's one, one point, just to kind of explain this, which allowed this to occur, because the interesting thing is, which is very seldom discussed, is how did it manage to move away from the universities right. into, into the public sector, and then into uh, things like um, the private sector, okay. businesses and corporations, mm-hmm. And I remember I was in New York before the lockdown. I was all in the debate. And I explained to people that this is, you because know, a lot of people think that this is just a university phenomenon, mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of, you know, sort of soft academics getting obsessed. I said to them, there's no institution in the United States that is going to be immune from this. And this guy puts up his hand and says, "No, oh, no, 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 you're wrong, Frank. That's not possible. For example, sports, American <laughs> yeah. sports will never allow this influence to become internalized yeah. and you know that's before people taking the knee, that's before you have uh, d- big debates about you know sort of uh, trans men competing in women's sports mm. and what I'm, you can see is that it goes everywhere and the reason why it goes everywhere is because particularly in America but also in the Anglo-American American world, the elites, the establishment in political sphere, business sphere, cultural sphere, no longer believe Uh, the kind of values that their ancestors or their grandparents believed in. They they, they kind of lost faith and confidence in an American way of life or a British way of life. Mm -hmm. And because they lost uh, that confidence, they become estranged and even hostile to the values that uh, their parents and their grandparents grew up with. So American elites are are arguably the wokest section of American society even more woke than than anybody else, similarly in Britain. Mm -hmm. And I think they bear the principal responsibility for the proliferation of these ideas.
1: Do you think there's anything in a connection between, let's say, for example, places like Japan and Korea? Uh, These are obviously also democracies. They're also wealthy, right? So, um, you know, they also like some of our our culture, right? K-pop, they make great films, right? Uh, and from what I understand, and I'm obviously not as familiar as as closely as them, but you can use you can put a lot of different countries in list. You can even put uh, even France. You know, the the president Macron famously said, "Don't bring your woke American bullshit to France." Right? And you see in Central Europe and Eastern Europe, you know, places like Latvia or Lithuania or places like that, they, they don't they don't buy into this this obsession over, you know, speaking incessantly about trans rights or it's not about trans rights. That, that's a euphemism they give. It's not about trans rights. It's it, it's it's really just these radical gender ideologies, and that they're trying to even enforce on children now. Um, so you don't see it in these other cultures. You see it in America. You see it in England. You see it in in Canada. Uh, even places like Australia. It's, it's a, and you see it predominantly, overwhelmingly among white liberal elites, right? So is there sort of a connection between? i haven't looked at the the exact data but i'm sure it says something along the lines of probably white american liberals or british white elite probably have like the the least connection to religious observances taking part in religion taking part in traditions whereas you know some of these other cultures middle eastern cultures asian cultures even central european cultures they're much more connected their culture uh and their religions and their foundations you think there's a connection there that will explain why it's so much more pronounced in the English speaking world?
2: Well, I, th- I think the principal driver of this culture historically has been American soft power. And American soft power and, and its constituents mm-hmm. are mainly created in those parts of the United States where the cultural elites have a disproportionate amount of influence. Okay. And that's why you'll find that California and New York. Uh, are much more steeped in these mm-hmm. uh, ideologies than idaho or or any bits of the midwest or or the south and when you look at those areas you know uh, it becomes very very clear that uh, the these particular elites are also the ones that are most detached from uh, co- their communities they're the ones that are most uh, cosmopolitan influence in the sense uh, that they basically have got no loyalty or, or or connection with the uh, or organic relationship with the places where they kind of grew up in. Uh-huh. And therefore they they become much more uh, disposed towards these things. You have the same thing. In England it's London, uh-huh. uh that's the most uh woke part of, of the country. In Australia it's Sydney uh and and uh Canberra that are are all like that and and that's the way it begins to emerge and, and there's a connection between the degree to which you are disconnected, the degree to which you are detached from from public life, mm-hmm. and and we're in a very kind of bubble that's quite different to, to the experience of other kind of people. Almost right. in Santa Monica, okay. or Tribeca, essentially. <laughs> exactly, but unfortunately, and this is a, this is this is what I'm really worried about, is that uh, given the the power, the cultural power of these individuals. These are the guys that are on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know, they run the, the music industry. They run the film industry. They run the universe, all the cultural institutions. Right. What has happened is that their influence, uh, in a sense, has expanded way beyond uh, their, their, the original sort of birthplaces. Mm-hmm. So you now have a situation where in Korea, in Japan, uh, in Asia, or in Bangalore, in, in India, as well as in parts of Central Europe, uh, sections uh, of, of the urban population, uh, their equivalents, mm-hmm. are very much influenced by this. And you'll find that even though Macron has said this about France, when you go to mm-hmm. Paris, yeah. you'll find that there is a, a certain resonance for these kinds of not, not Nothing like in America. I mean, America uh, is, is is in a class of it. Actually, I should say the wokest place in the world is not America, but Canada. Hmm. which is you know has gone way beyond you know sort of the united states in terms of the obsessiveness right about these kinds of issues but in a sense you have to you have to understand that everywhere in the world uh is being exposed to this and and uh particularly younger generations uh are quite susceptible to internalizing this because dating this is really cool
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean you me- you mentioned canada uh I, I never thought of it as a woke as place more, but I, I could kind of see what you're talking about now. If I'm thinking about some of the major cities, it was uh, Trudeau is certainly the most woke, I think, leader in the world. It was it was just what, a few months ago, maybe it was last year, when he he was mocked for getting wrong, you know, 'cause LGBT isn't correct anymore. Now you have to add in like a bunch of these other meaningless acronyms, which no one even knows what they mean. So he was like talking you know, talk about the LGBTQQAi plus community, and he, he couldn't even get his own letters right in order. Um, and like, so going off of your point that this has moved so far beyond just the academic institutions. the Prime Minister of of Canada, you know, top twenty economy in the world, uh, talking about you know the for for example, I think like one of the one acronym stands for Two Spirit. Like who 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 the hell? in The average population knows what a two spirit is. I don't even know what that means. And they, they talk, and another one is like uh, there's like asexual in there, and then there's I think what gender queer. I think gender is on the acronyms. Uh, so I mean, these are just like the niche of the niche of the niche of sexual identity or gender identities, and you see it repeated by by people like him by by some of these corporations as well. Uh, it, it's just it's beyond parody at this point do you think that there is a backlash to some of this one of the things i've been kind of disappointed by and there's only been a couple of voices on the left who are trying to bring back hey guys like let's talk about wage growth again <laughs> let's, let's talk about why why wage growth hasn't gone up very much you know let, let's talk about some of these economic issues again uh yeah you, you know and some of those people if if they even shy away from from these insane radical netflix style woke issues uh, or, or rhetoric they're just shunned immediately and called racist right do you think that there's 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 a, a backlash sort of forming i mean i think one of one of the most instrumental examples of that that would sort of push individual left to really reevaluate their position was was the uh, election which all P- americans didn't follow closely obviously in England, when Jeremy Corbyn went against Boris Johnson, and Boris Johnson's—you know—he's no uh, Ronald Reagan or something—you uh, know, n- not not a charismatic guy at all. But like the Conservatives won Labour districts, which had never been had never voted for Labour in, in their entire history, and it was it was over this this insane cultural rhetoric, uh, these insane woke rhetoric that has taken over the left in this country. I'm not sure if there's been a reevaluation on the left in England for, from that yet certainly hasn't been in, in, in the United States yet. Do, do you see any bit of, of, of a uh, sort of push to correct some of these things
2: from the very side that's currently engulfed by it? Well, you know, the left is no longer the left. Yeah. Uh, even, even when it kind of identifies as the left, right. it, it's become a zombie category, you know, which, uh, you know, sort of lost its uh, living soul a long time ago. And it you know zombies are very difficult to kill mm-hmm. and that's why you still have people call themselves up even though what they what you know, the kind of politics they put forward yeah it's completely disassociated from, from their tradition but i think the, the the interesting thing is as you're suggesting is there's been a political reversal so the middle classes and and the elites are really woke and working people tend to be anti-woke and that's that's pretty much the case everywhere mm-hmm. it, 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 constituency that's most suspicious and hostile to this. Yeah. The problem is, is that although there is occasionally a backlash. For example, I was really pleased, by the way, in Virginia, the parents revolted mm-hmm. against the way that uh, uh, people try to indoctrinate their children, and you had this Republican governor win just because he kind of stood behind the parents. So there are examples when there's a backlash. The trouble is, a backlash by itself. Is never as strong as what it's reacting against because it's reactive, mm-hmm. it's defensive, it's not taking the initiative. And the problem that we're faced with is that time and time again, it's the advocates of the cultural politics of identity who go on the offensive. They're the ones that raise a new issue, they're the ones that talk about a new identity problem. And our side just reacts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And when you react, you know, you don't really have the capacity. To take control of the agenda and to gain moral authority, and you're always chasing the people who are uh, sort of initiating this. Stuff. Right. So, at the moment, in the short run, uh, they're winning the culture war. Mm-hmm. They are they are in the lead. They're in the driving seat, and the reason for that is because our side, insofar as there is an our side, uh, hasn't got attacked together to try to initiate mm-hmm. you know, something. So, for example, you know, I, I'm really angry that, or, or disappointed that in the United States, people haven't learned the lesson of Virginia and tried to mobilize parents to basically go on the offensive and not just simply react when they re- discover that r- little seven-year-old Mary comes yeah. back home and says, Mommy, Mommy, I'm a lesbian because my teacher told yeah, me yeah. so. Yeah. And then you It's too late to react. <laughs> right, to that. right. So I think that's that's that seems to be the, to be the key thing where you take the initiative, and also one of the things that I'm I'm disappointed by Americans and and British people because yeah, they're doing the same thing is they've evacuated education and okay. the universities. You know, a lot of conservative Americans I talk to, you know, boast about the fact I would never go near university. You know, I'm I'm working in the private sector or, I, or I'm working for a think tank. Well, if you never go to university. Who's going to influence young people? Right. you've evacuated those institutions, if you're not going to become a teacher in a school because you think it's below you, right, because you don't like the profession, who is going to teach your kids? Yeah. It seems to me that that battleground has been entirely evacuated and handed over to the woke side. So they basically you know, run the whole show without any opposition. Yeah,
1: and it's it's difficult at this point to turn to I think, maybe... You know this this movement towards trying to create alternative institutions. I mean that's going to be a long time coming. That's not something you can do overnight. That'll take decades. Um, you know may, maybe some of this. Uh, there's been a record amount of children who are homeschooled now. Obviously, internet makes it a lot more accessible. and makes it a lot more uh, intellectually rigorous as well because you can you can get information from some of the best sources and some of the smartest people out there. Uh, and, and so hopefully that that stems a tide. And your point about it being a zombie category, I think I think that's a good statement because yeah it's it, no. You know, I, I see this in LA still, where you know the the people that I know who consider themselves a the part of the left absolutely have complete contempt for actual working class people, right? They think they're like buffoons or hooligans and, and backwards, and we need to tell them what to do. And uh, you, you know, like you know, they have nothing in common with your HVAC, you know, technician or or, or a mechanic or a carpenter uh, in Middle America or even in, in LA, right? They, you know, the if you look at the most recent election, as a example, Biden did best amongst attorneys. You know, profession I know well, uh, bankers, HR people, professors, and the highest proportion of, of professions, of people in the profession, voting for Trump were like carpenters, uh, HVAC people, mechanics, plumbers, that kind of thing. People work with their hands, who are, have to be connected to reality. Uh, but yet, you know, it, sure. you can think that you're a part of the left, even though you agree with every single. Opinion with the vast majority of billionaires out there, except for Elon Musk, who they now hate. <laughs> but every single one, you know, they they have a complete alignment with with their opinions on basically everything. But that yet they're still, you know, for the working man, and they have nothing in common with the working man. So that's that's kind of been interesting. I'm not sure this is gonna mentioned enough. It bothers me a little bit that sometimes people can't even see that. I mean, if you want to be a part of the billionaire class or whatever, support some of those values, that's fine you know but you, you can't you can't have it both ways do you see some of this cultural stuff actually let's, let's talk about the trans thing real quick because that's that's the thing that's that's most discussed now in in the zeitgeist and the culture and it's a thing that's like thrust upon us most heavily of all the the woke uh, obsessions in pop culture and film every show on hbo seems mm-hmm. like uh you know as was remarkable <laughs> my, my girlfriend she lives in uh west hollywood and on the if you've ever been there so the the crosswalk of west hollywood used to be a rainbow flag cool you know obviously gay area that's great uh but but now that's not good enough now it has to be that and if you've seen that that new progress flag with like it has like a it has a rainbow flag but then a black line and a and a brown line and a pink and a white and a blue uh which i guess those three the latter three represent transgenderism the black and brown represent people of color which Kind of was a point of the rainbow, <laughs> so and then it has like an intersect circle in it. So that's now on there, because because now being gay isn't cool anymore. Uh, now now it's, all about, it's all about being trans. Why do you think so much obsession? Because even even if you compare all the obsessions, uh, this is the one. This is this is the one. Or is it just kind of the the hot thing right now for them? Or do you think there's something deeper as to why they are just all in? They're dying on this hill of supporting say puberty blockers um, being against like like I said they're, they're actually vehemently against the DeSantis' bill which says nothing about gay people just says don't talk about sex you know don't talk about gender to like kindergartners like they don't need to know that you and your partner you know had sex last night and how you did it and all that why why, why, why this hill to die on so much so you think
2: well uh, the point is is that until this point, Every single identity group, you know, sort of was based upon something uh, what you could call real in the sense that you know, being gay was about having sex with a person of the same sex. Mm-hmm. You know, being heterosexual was about having sex with somebody from the opposite sex. And now what you've got is a situation where, where your identity becomes not just simply about who you have sex with, but how you see yourself at a particular time. So it takes the whole notion of identity way beyond where it was beforehand, where it becomes an entire invention, uh, quite susceptible to being changed and, and, and reframed. So, for example, we have this situation where we have the first conservative member of parliament in Britain coming out last week saying that I'm trans. And then he, in the next sentence, he said, uh, or I would like to be trans. Hmm. And I thought that was quite interesting. In other words, he, on the one hand, he said, I'm trans. But then right. he said, I want to be trans. Okay. So it becomes almost like an aspiration. <laughs> right. You know, sort of. And, and very often, you know, so for example, I, I have friends in local schools and their teenage daughter comes home and and basically... They basically say, I think I'm trans, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, I'm, or, or whatever. And you sit down and you talk to them, and they've never had sex with anybody. Right. It's not like, you know, they, it's kind of based upon any kind of, you know, sort of track record of physical activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, it becomes something that they feel, you know, sort of uh, captures who they really are. It, it's a way of almost, uh, to an act of will constructing an identity for yourself. And given the fact that it's given so much support by, on Netflix and elsewhere, it becomes, you know, to me, it becomes to them a very attractive identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at your typical, I don't know if you've seen, it's very interesting program on Netflix called Sex Education. I haven't seen it. I tell everybody, I tell everybody to sort of uh, kind of watch the series. It's got two years, it's gone on for two years. And in the program, uh, it's about school kids, high school kids. The most interesting, the most sensitive people, as you would expect, are not heterosexual because they're boring and insensitive. Right? They're not even gay anymore because being gay is just like it's you know yeah. same old, same right. old. It's the trans kids. Yeah. You know, you know they are really, they are so super sensitive. They are so ahead of everybody else. They're so better at reading the room than any of the you know sort of boring heterosexuals. That uh, they become like the you know the, the kind of the exemplars of what you want to be. Mm-hmm. So when when that becomes this kind of uh, model mm-hmm. to be aspired to, not surprising that everybody wants to pile in on the trans question. And all you got to if your mother or father in England, as as they probably in California, from middle class family, and you tell your friends, oh my little Mary or Johnny is trans. Yeah. You know the reaction you will get oh how brave! yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know, you know, that's how, how good it is so under those circumstances there is a lot of incentive to present yourself in that kind of way and to politicize mm-hmm. it and to make it in tradition among certain sections of society even though trans culture transgenderism is probably the, the basis the most nauseating form of identity politics that is around mm-hmm. in, in in the 21st century
1: yeah and you have to wonder how far it goes I, I mean i hope it's not the case where it's enough people have been um sort of led down this direction and then have i'm gonna have someone on my show as well who, who went through those gender reassignment surgeries and within like a couple months i think there were 16 or something of of thinking of their trans you know they, they went right into these i believe it was i believe it was the certain hormone blockers or getting estrogen and things of that nature actual medical procedures being done and then actual surgical procedures being being performed within within a year uh, and and then obviously many of these people regret it some of them are, are gay right <laughs> that's we all agreed that was what we that was fine that was like you know we, we aspire for people to be open about who they are and and they're kind of being led in this direction so maybe until there's enough horror stories of people who are sort of led down these dark paths by people they trusted and then sort of woke up from it and said, no, what the hell happened, right? And, and now I can't go back because I've, I've taken these life-altering uh, surgical procedures and medical procedures. You know, it, that that I think is kind of the most troubling aspect, and, and no one seems to care about that. It's never not discussed in, in, in the culture.
2: Well, I think it's a very difficult issue to discuss for people because once you've been in, invested in, in, in the whole kind of trans worldview, and once you've uh, embrace the gender-neutral ideology where biological sex is not seen as being of no moment, and you know, sort of where self-identification is what matters. It's very difficult to um, somehow, you know, sort of uh, delegitimate the aspiration to alter your body parts and 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 to try to be uh, of a you know of, of a different sex because. The very minute you basically tell the world that I cannot live inside my body, you know I'm a woman captured in a man's right. body or vice versa, that gives you this kind of uh, kind of uh, authority to uh, go down the road of medical procedures. And the medical industry uh, around these trans issues is extremely <laughs> extremely greedy and committed mm-hmm. to speeding up the process rather than to say what what you would hope they would say is you're 14, you're 15, take a deep breath and come back when you're 18. You know, sort of when you've had a chance to really evaluate the the risks and the downsides and everything else, sort of saying that, you know, sort of uh, they kind of become accomplices in speeding things up and and, uh, preying on essentially relatively immature children who who are not yet in a position to make uh, the kind of choices that will have consequences for the rest of their lives.
1: Do you see a connection between this and – do you see this as a form of you – know, not speaking about trans people, obviously, but um, the, the obsession about these sorts of trans and gender issues. Do you th- see this as an extension of what they, of they call it, like cultural Marxism, where, as you, as you sort of touched on, after communism no longer became a tenable thing, the bodies started piling up, you know, Stalin and Mao and all that. These people then, the the academic institutions, the professors who were all about this stuff, uh, you know, big stolen fanboys, had to, couldn't support those positions anymore. They shifted into some of these, this intersectionality stuff, this this other postmodern stuff, which then led to racializing everything, sexualizing everything, you know, gender identity of everything. Do you see a connection there? Do you buy the argument?
2: No, I don't. I I don't believe there is such a thing as cultural Marxism Mm -hmm. in the first place, because Marxism, emerges as the very antithesis of culture and is very much focused on on, on society or social factors economic factors determining everything I think that uh, it's very much the case it, it, that it, as I suggested earlier on it's when ideologies lose their way including Marxism and they can no longer influence or shape public thinking that you have this very strong personalization of politics where you basically You you have a political uh, sort of approach that valorizes lifestyles and and invests lifestyles with political meaning Mm -hmm. just because there is no other focus for for attaching that kind of a meaning. And I think that uh, when it comes to the transgender stuff, that basically uh, represents an extension of the personalist political uh, uh, where identity becomes this main driver. And it's very, very interesting because I don't know uh, how old you are, if you remember, but there used to be a time where identity politics were seen as being a matter of choice. You choose to be gay. You know, uh, you know I, I decide I'm homosexual or I decide that I'm lesbian. It was very much seen as, a, as an act of volition, uh, an act of personal autonomy. And then what happens is at a certain point, people react against that. They say, how can you say that being gay is a choice? You know, and they kind of invent this idea of a gay gene, mm-hmm. you know, or that there are certain biological drivers, you know, so that uh, kind of make you into uh, a homosexual lesbian. So you got that Lady Gaga song about, you know, way, born yeah. this mm-hmm. way. Yeah, we're born this way. Yeah. It's not something. So the identity becomes naturalized. It becomes a biological, rather than what it used to be, uh, something to do with choice or or uh, or, or you know, self-construction. Mm-hmm. So when identity becomes naturalized and and is underpinned by biological factors, I think it's at that point that the transgenderist element, you know, can gain a a lot of momentum because it's in that sphere that transgenderism really begins to flourish. Because if you're born this way, right, right, then that kind of validates your, 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 your demand, your your affirmation of your identity of a man in a woman, woman's body or versa. do, you, do or you deny
1: there's biological factors associated with homosexuality but what, what's your position on
2: that yeah i i i think that homo, you know, homosexuality you know obviously it has got certain you know in terms of physical that physical attraction of man right. for men and women for women, is i think principally cultural and, and principally social and it's got to do with the way that society arranges itself. It's not some there isn't some kind of inherent uh, biological uh, or genetic or neuroscientific led kind of factor that is kind of responsible for that.
1: Mm-hmm. You're saying there's, there's there's essentially no evidence uh, that we have thus far showing that there's a, a gay gene or anything of that nature that would do this.
2: You know, sometimes you get these neuroscientists and that you know they always say the same thing that in this lobe over there. There's some kind of difference between gay people and heterosexuals. Mm. I don't accept that. I think that uh, sexual, the domain of sexuality, uh, of desire, is, is is a very fluid kind of phenomenon uh, that is regulated by cultural and social norms. And I think that you know that's why you will have a situation where, in some societies, like in ancient Greece, mm-hmm. you know, where men were allowed to have uh, homosexual relationships with young boys you know you could you could have that as 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 a norm as, as normal mm-hmm. whilst three four centuries later that would be seen as an act of perversion right right and these things are are i think have got to be seen in that kind of context rather than see this as being a, a kind of a, a gay people are born in nature rather than within society yeah. and culture yeah
1: yeah i mean well there there is i think at the very least thing i'll, I'll reasonably agree that there's at least some sort of a social components uh because we know that for example there's a you know, very disproportionate amount of, of homosexual uh, children who are gay, who come from single mothers, who, who come from, you know, the literature on pr- promiscuous mothers who had suffered from uh, sexual abuse, right? There's, there's definitely a lot of uh, studies showing that there's a correlation there. I want to talk to you about the the other major thing, another topic of your book, rather, uh, was about borders. That's obviously, you know, another major component of this, what we call wokeness, this woke the the idea of open borders the idea of you know no person's illegal the idea that you know anybody should be allowed in you see this with the united states right now i think last year we had the most illegal immigration ever 2 million people we're going to be probably breaking that record this year brexit was uh, england's decision to leave the eu was largely based on immigration and things of that nature and multiculturalism failing and the tense nature around that um, not being able to control your own borders and yet the very same people, and this brings us to today's time, the very same people who basically want no protection of our borders, uh, who poo-poo the idea, who call border patrol Nazis and spread all these all these lies about immigration enforcement.
0: They seem to be very
1: much, now I obviously sympathize with the Korean situation very much, of course, very much in favor of them. But. The Ukrainian borders, this is kind of a joke that some people make now, and Tucker Carlson is one of them, you know, they, they care very much about Ukrainian national sovereignty and Ukrainian territorial integrity when, you know, they're anti-nationalism otherwise, right? They're anti-nationhood otherwise, they're they're anti-being able to enforce your borders otherwise. Uh, how do you see, if anything, some of that, the, 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 the ideologies we're discussing that are held by the Liberal elites, so they're not liberal, but you know the elites in society who hold these ideologies, who run all these cultural institutions and government institutions. How do you see that playing out in their response to this Ukraine Russia situation, or coloring their 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 response or rhetoric, their narrative about it?
2: Well, I think that uh, the thing you have to remember is that although the cultural elites are rhetorically one hundred and twenty percent against borders, and they talk about open borders all the time. They're actually uh, not quite selective about what borders they they like Mm -hmm. and what borders they hate. So I always thought it was very, very interesting that at the same time as they were criticizing Trump for for building that wall, for trying to build that wall on the Mexican-American border, the same people that were shouting and yelling at him were also the same people that were demanding the construction of safe spaces. Within universities and other institutions, and mm-hmm. there's nothing that's more like a border than when right. you construct a safe space. But essentially, what you're doing is you're delineating mm-hmm. a geographical area yep. and saying, "This is safe. Keep out. Uh, this is our kind of our kind of place." Real quick, did you follow so the? Very- did you follow the? Um-
1: the, the, the situation when Seattle in 2020 in the summer where the the there was a Chaz or Chop uh where basically the the sort of anti-activists occupied certain areas of Seattle and the first thing they did was inst- was in- install borders around it and then have like armed people around them making sure who gets in who gets out right so yeah. that, that's that's quite funny
2: yes I think that there's a, there's a kind of selective element yeah. in this uh, and it's a very dishonest way of uh, dealing with borders I think that uh, the, the the connection, I think, between uh, their historical position and their reaction to Ukraine is not so much the border issue, it's to do with the fact that uh, for for reasons that I don't quite understand, in America, Ukraine has become intertwined with domestic politics. Mm-hmm. And that, that was already evident during the attempt to delegitimate Trump by suggesting that he was a... A proxy for putin right uh and then and in reaction at the same time some of the republicans tried to suggest that the biden family were just basically you know sort of living parasitically from the wealth of ukraine Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean i be honest i got to the point now where i just don't bother to read any stuff on this because i don't believe anything i read but what is true is that for one reason or another the, the two things became intertwined which is why in many respects, what's happened is that the cultural tensions that are domestically uh, driven in the United States have become externalized in relation to the Ukraine and Russia disputes. Mm-hmm, Some uh, right. uh, conservatives, you know, sort of siding with Putin, and and many many liberals thinking that the Ukraine is God's gift to humanity. Yes. Uh, and, it's, it's, and it's and it's bad because I think we have to look at this tragic development very much in its own terms. I mean, last week. I spent a couple of days in the Ukraine. I, I went there to uh, check out for myself because wow. I, you know, uh, myself and my family were refugees from Hungary right. in uh, a long time ago. So I'm quite sympathetic to the mm-hmm. plight of Ukrainian refugees who are fleeing the Russians in the way that we fled from the Russians. I really wanted to see what was really going on there. And, and the, to me, the problem is is that instead of trying to sort of objectively evaluate this particular war and, and russia's invasion of the ukraine people in the west try to insert themselves into that and, mm-hmm. and from a woke point of view you know what they are really you know worried about is that for example uh that uh, you know sort of there are acts of rape being committed mm-hmm. so so rape culture and me too culture mm-hmm. becomes kind of rediscovered there or a lot of the uh, uh, American newspapers were concerned about the fact that uh, refugees from Ukraine, from Africa, were not treated in the same. Oh, way right, right. I saw that yeah. as refugees. Yeah, as refugees, they were not kind of Ukrainians, and they were always looking for uh, some kind of woke related right. issues That's angle that highlight. So, you know, even though there's a, an incredibly corrosive and destructive war going on with loads of people dying, that was. Not the key thing. They have right. to find some kind of a work-related uh-huh. issue that they could highlight and bring out. And through that, it's almost as if they were trying to rediscover themselves and their issues uh-huh. through the struggle and the conflict in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. Yeah. So while all this this chaos and destruction, mayhem is happening, they have to gravitate towards some irrelevant issue. Uh, that's probably not even true. But who knows? Even if it were true, I mean, it's it's far down the list of actual like the chaos and 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 just. Humanitarian or anti-humanitarian sort of conducts going on there, and the the war crimes going on there, Uh, by focusing on you know some some story about how African your refugees in the Ukraine aren't being treated as well as much as as well as the white Ukrainians or something, Uh, of course. This, this this is also selective, right, because you don't really hear this sort of uh, outrage when it comes to, say, the rape that women in Middle Eastern countries are often subjected to, right? There's very, very little discussion on that. There's been a bit since this Afghanistan thing was in the news, but no one ever talks about the, the second class status of women in Iran, for example, right? My mom's home country. Uh, you know, they, they don't get much attention. And, and in fact, the the people who are perpetrating these disgusting, brutal anti-feminist anti-woman anti-human rights policies are seen as as not so bad and maybe we can work with them maybe we can make a deal right so that's just that's just another interesting aspect of their other hypocrisy do you think that with respect to some people posit that you know brexit was a one step that many will follow of sort of the disintegration of the eu uh, other people say that maybe we're heading into like more of a decentralized sort of environment or atmosphere in the West. You certainly see in the United States, places like California and Texas going polar opposite directions. a lot of self-sorting, right? A lot of people who are culturally or politically conservative moving to Texas and Florida. Not too many people moving to California. (laughs) But you see a lot more self-sorting. Do you think that the EU is is poised? Because one of the interesting things, I think Putin underestimated, a lot of us underestimated, was that a lot of the European countries got together uh, increase their sort of military engagement and spending and all that, and, and and seem certainly more interested in countering Russia than we thought. Do you think that, that we're headed towards maybe a a breakup of the EU or a weakening of the EU? How, how, do you, how do you see things going forward? Are there any lessons we can draw from this response by the Europeans and the US to the Russian invasion of in Ukraine?
2: Well, you know, uh, the trends, the geopolitical trends were already in evidence during the pandemic. When you had the emergence of national rivalries, as different countries realized that if you're going to get uh, vaccinations and if you're going to be healthy, you cannot rely on international institutions. You cannot rely on the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. so national governments began to compete against each other at that point already, and yet the kind of the the weakening of of the globalist sort of world order Mm -hmm. and the gradual emergence of classical uh, competition between nation states. I think that has intensified in the war at the moment, and the apparent unity of the West is is far more apparent than real, mm. because uh, be, behind the scenes you have very differential reactions. You know, Germany is is kind of involved in full-blown trade deals with Russia, right. and you know the amount of goods they're buying from Russia, they're selling goods to Russia. Uh, other countries are much more into breaking of those links, so uh I think it's 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 a fantasy to imagine that the West has rediscovered itself mm-hmm. through this particular kind of a war uh it, you know there's an attempt to kind of almost create a a world war a kind of a cold war Mark II mm-hmm. situation uh, by arguing that you know Putin is like the evil em- empire of the old Soviet Union days. I don't think that that kind of uh uh project of using this war as a way of forging unity. Can overcome the, 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 the different rivalries that, that are happening there, and at the moment, in addition to that, I think that Western uh, statesmen and political leaders, you know, are far too feeble and, and lack the clarity to be able to forge together that kind of unity. I think your President Biden personifies that incompetence right. that prevails in the West, where you know he, he can, he, his mad just runs away with him in, in areas that are really quite sensitive, because when you're involved in a a kind of political conflict, the last thing you you want is somebody uh, to open their mouth and say things that you're going to (laughs) have to take back an hour later. Putin must go. Come on, man. Putin must go. And then they have to debate. No,
1: he didn't really mean Putin must go.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly. So when you have a a schmuck like him, you know, sort of, uh, you know, playing such a central role in what could be a, a major international war. You know the, the possibility of real unity being forged is is significantly undermined. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and it, it doesn't make matters uh, any better that somehow he picked the one person. Maybe it was intentional that that's a worse speaker than he is. Especially when she goes out of lib as she speaks in riddles, uh, nonsensical riddles. She reminds me of like when you when you have to like meet a word count in a paper, and and you just you just feel it with like gibberish, uh, like saying the same thing like nine different times and different uh, different we passive voice, aggressive voice. Uh, it literally speaks like this, like, like consistently it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, doesn't, doesn't help things very much. What is, what is something that you are most hopeful about? Particularly, let's stick with like, say United States, maybe, maybe throw in, you know, sort of the Western world into that, into that category. What, what are you most hopeful about for American English society? What, what gives you most pause for concern going forward?
2: Well, I think that the the main thing that I I feel good about is that a lot of parents are waking up. Uh, And you have to remember that parents are invested in their kids. And so a lot of parents that might be indifferent to identity issues in their workplace or somewhere else really begin to freak out when they see that their children is being subjected to this kind of indoctrination Mm -hmm. and they are much more likely to react. and I think that's a, a, a potential, very important area for creating a, 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 a kind of a movement that can make a big impact in the culture wars. Just because, you know sort of, you know, parents have, have this complete and uh, and hundred percent commitment to their kids. Right. You know, they are going to react once they become aware. In the pandemic, what happened was that for the first time, parents listening into mm-hmm. their kids being yep. taught by teachers on Zoom. You know were shocked to realize yeah. the crap that the teachers were, you know, sort of promoting. I know in England, a lot of parents that I know were horrified. They didn't didn't realize the stuff that uh, were be, was being uh, sort of shoved yeah. down the throat. Wasn't sort of the trigonometry? That's that's for sure. a, <laughs> it wasn't trigonometry. No, no, no. It was telling kids about how horrible Britain yeah. was throughout human history. Right. It was a kind of element of self-loathing and gender politics all mixed together. So I think that's that's really something I'm very positive about. And I also think, uh, perversely, the emergence of geopolitics and national political rivalries may well begin to have a uh, a reality check, pose a reality check on the obsessive way in which culture politics and lifestyle politics is pursued, and may well shake up a few sensible people to begin to try to find an antidote Mm -hmm. to the kind of uh, issues that we've been discussing. Yeah, What I'm most worried about mm-hmm. is that uh, we lack cultural power. Right? We don't have Netflix. We haven't got Hollywood. We haven't got the music industry. We haven't got the universities or any of the big cultural institutions right. that influence people on a daily basis. And I think uh, that threat, that problem, is something that needs to be taken seriously. And we need to somehow find ways and means of creating a counter-cultural movement with its own institutions uh, that can appeal particularly to young people and somehow, you know, sort of uh, create a, a dynamic that could shake up the cultural elites uh-huh. and, and force them on the defense yeah you, you
1: know it's bad when goldman sachs is applauded for being woke right <laughs> you know you know it's things have gone pretty far down the line uh yeah the, the, the point about the the education i think is quite apt to think like you know i graduated high school in 2009 i'm, I'm 30 years old and um it was never even a thought obviously all my all my high school teachers were you know left wing with, with exception of one i think um and yeah you know they tried to indoctrinate you but they, they were nice they didn't they didn't you know, uh, I would have arguments with a few of them, with a couple of them, especially in history, but they never took it out on on me in terms of giving me negative grades or anything like that. It was, it was quite a tolerant atmosphere, yeah. and it was never a situation where my my parents would even care about my my teacher's political opinions or even, even factor that into going to a school or saying to get to school. Today, you know, I've, I've same parents, obviously, they were like, if they had a kid who was in high school now, they would absolutely be, you know, vetting you know, the school and looking at these sorts of things because it's so in your face now, right? It's so in your face. So even people like my, my parents were traditionally apolitical, couldn't care less about any of this stuff, have to care now. And and I think that's, that's certainly being reflected by a lot of parents across the United States and and the West as well. Um, Frank, s- such a pleasure to chat with you. It's such a fascinating discussion. Where can uh, people learn more about you, get your books, follow follow
2: your stuff, follow your work? Well, uh, I got a website called FrankFreddy.com, so that's probably the best place to look. And all my books are on Amazon. And if you want to know what I'm thinking at any one time, just follow me on Twitter, uh, where I, you know, sort of, chat, you know I cannot help but react to some of the mm-hmm. stuff that we've been discussing on a regular basis. For sure. And I'll,
1: I'll put that in the show notes so people can check you out. Frank Freddy, thank you so much uh, for being with me. R- real pleasure. Yeah, nice talking Thanks. to you. If you enjoyed our show please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening. And we will be back next week.